right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here, got an interview coming with Danielle Kang ahead of this week's Chevron Championship. We talked a lot of stuff, really enjoyed talking wedges with her and how she's improved in that, talking Butch Harmon, talking about the state of the women's game, talking about a lot of things. One request that they did have, I know Danielle's had some health issues uh, in recent weeks and months, and uh, they'd asked that they just wanted to keep that information private and wanted to wanted to focus on other parts of uh, what she has going on and want to thank our partner Cisco for helping set up this interview and for providing innovative technology partnerships and investments throughout the game of golf to drive positive change. Cisco is teeing up tomorrow, enabling the most connected, inclusive, and accessible version of the game yet for players, fans, and operators throughout the sport. Tune in this week to the Chevron Championship. and Thank you, Danielle, for the time, and here is the interview. All right, what's going on in Danielle Kang's world? Give us an update on everything going on in your life. Everything going on in my life. Well, not everything, Um, but just give us an update. Come on. I finally came home. I haven't been home in a couple of months. And home is Vegas for people that don't know. Yeah, I'm in Las Vegas. I've been running all the waters and, you know, running the washing machine, the what do you call it, dishwasher. So everything's working fine. I have to check all the little checkoffs and see if the hot water still comes out. So that's what I'm doing today. I well, I want to talk uh, some golf stuff, but I, I've I, the first thing I got to ask you about is tell me about this about this safari you went on. You've been recently dealing with some injuries. You took some time away from golf. Tell us about that. So I took some time off last year because of the injuries. I know it's been a lot of quote unquote injuries reported by me in the last couple of years, and I apologize for that. But you know I can't really help what's happening. But I took a few months off of golf, and I thought to myself, you know. How about if I don't play for a long time? How about uh, if I don't get to practice, I lose my game? All this went through my mind. But long story short, I was fine. And like the game was fine. So I thought to myself, why don't I just go to Kenya? And I've been wanting to go there for years. And I just decided to do it. Another player named Julia Molinaro's family actually helps out with planning the safaris in Kenya. So she really helped me out to plan uh, heading to Masai Mara, to Saruni Samburu, to Diani Beach, and it was probably one of the best trips of my life. Gosh, that's always something I've wanted to do is the is Masai Mara, and I, 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 I've done Southern Africa, but never made it to see migrations or anything like that. You got to see some animals too. I got some see some. I got to see some hunting and some killing, and there was times. I mean, this lion was eating the zebra, and it was eating its face, and I was actually kind of scared because. We were very close and the the guys want wants us to have the best i was like okay we're a little bit too close like can we back up a little bit and then we've got the hyenas on standby then we've got the eagles waiting to then the vultures and i'm going all right i don't want to feel a bit endangered here and i i'm a little scared right now but it was weird to feel that i was at the bottom of the food chain out there and it was kind of exciting and thrilling and we went to go see the rhinos the two white rhinos and they uh we were on foot and one decided to charge so we ran for our lives and i'm pretty sure a lot of things went through my mind we were fine everyone was safe but 
I was thinking, how do I escape a rhino attack? Do I play dead? Do I dodge his horn? Like, what do I, what do I do? And I just, my, I, my mom was with me. She ran into a bush. I was sprinting and I stopped sprinting because I thought the rhino was going to turn and run into her. It was just a, it's something that I will never forget. And I, it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> What's it like transitioning back into golf after, after this time off? Have you, uh, has your perspective on your career changed at all? A lot of changes yet not. I do feel really good about where my game is headed. I feel that I'm hitting it a bit further, a bit more consistent. My, my, my dispersion's a bit better around the greens. My putter has been pretty hot, and I like the way I feel over the putts. So I think I'm transitioning and progressing in the right direction with where I want my game to head and excited about it. I'm excited about the season, actually. I've read where you you have maybe a little different perspective on I don't need to pra- I don't need to play golf every single day I don't need to practice every single day I got kind of is there a before and after uh, you know kind of of how you treated things before the time off and how you do now Definitely I I believe that I have to approach the game a bit differently every day the way I have to warm up the way I have to start my day is a bit different the way I have to warm up to hit balls is a bit different um so priorities have changed on how I sustain my body more so than sustaining how to hit a seven iron um, or how to hit a five iron. I have another aspect that I have to keep up with, whether it's warm ups to cool downs, to stretching, to workouts, to physios, all those are the things that I have to keep up, have to keep up in order for me to play the best golf that I can play. So I think the priorities changing is a big difference for me is, because I've always known to just be a range bug or practice bug. And I think that's uh, condensed a little bit. You're 30 years old now. You're a, a veteran now on the LPGA tour. You just said it there, how long you want to stick around and what, what you still want to accomplish. What are the, uh, what, what, what are the, what are the thought processes like on both of those things? I have a short-term goal, learn long-term goal. I have little goals, big goals. I'm not going away anytime soon, but there are things that I really do want to do this year and accomplish this year. I, I have a different team around me right now, and I think we're showing some good results and good consistency. So I'm excited to see the mid part of the season. And I know some people have thought that I started off kind of slow and I'm okay with it because I've always kind of started off the year very, you know, fast and winning or third place, second place and things like that. But I don't think it's about just finishing second or third place. It's about building the the game up to where you want to, you know, play the best to your ability to. So I think I'm very excited. Now I think I know I'm very excited for this entire season and what's upcoming for the next couple of years. Do you feel, uh, you know, if longevity wise, is, is <clears throat> golf something you want to do, you know, kind of forever? Or, or do you see a, uh, a, a time period where you maybe don't want to play professional golf? I'm always very honest with everybody. I don't see myself playing my whole life. No, I, there are, there, I do see the end where I don't want to play golf, but that doesn't conflict with that conflicts with what I feel now is because I absolutely love playing right now, but I don't think I want to do this forever. Um, Can you kind I'm, of take us just through what that is like for, cause you know, for a lot of listeners of this show are probably more familiar with the men's side of professional golf than they are the women's side of professional golf, but it, it it's a different timeline for the women. Can you kind of help explain what that, you know, kind of the, how that, how that thought process works? 
So my timeline will be a bit different from a lot of other women. I can't speak for other women, right? If it's women versus men's timeline. I guess the longevity of this career is a bit shorter than the men's, right? Guys that are playing in the senior tour. I mean, I don't know how old they are. They can get up to 60s and 50s, 60s is nothing. And people are still competing on the PGA Tour in the 40s. And we don't see a lot of that in the women's game. And I understand. I think it depends on the priority, right? Some I'm not a mom, so I don't know what it feels like to be a mom, um, being married and have a family and being traveling. I, I don't know what that feels like. I'm sure it's really tough. I can only guess. But from my perspective, I might sound selfish, but there's so many other things that I want to do in my lifetime. And golf is something that I'd love to do now, but it's not something that I was very intrigued or was in tuned with when I first started off. I was good at it, but it wasn't my passion. But in the last years, in the late years, I formed a passion and love for the game. That makes me want to stick around until I want to do what I want to do and why I'm playing. And I needed to write out why I'm playing, why I'm here, what I want to get to, what I want to do. And it is all about me at that point. And I might sound a bit selfish or narcissistic in that I sense, but it's about me when I play golf. But I'm very thankful for what golf, like what kind of doors golf opens up for me and the opportunity that I get to utilize by being a professional golfer that is playing well. I think I could be around for that a bit longer. And for other women golfers, I'm not sure why I can't really say for them on why they retire earlier than men's, but I can say whether it's income to pension to family to kids to it's there's another life for moms and dads and i understand that dads could be dads and play golf but i don't know what it's like to go through pregnancy and be a top world athlete either and i can't speak for that so i don't think i'm the right candidate to be a spokesman for that one <laughs> i my wife is pregnant right now and i i now i want to go back and watch all the all the golf terms i've seen where women have competed and won while being pregnant i'm even more in awe of it all it's it's insane it it's, really is insane yeah i mean i have enough friends that are pregnant now and i'm just it it's insane what they do so i i i have new respect for moms and i just i just stay out of it because i'm not one and so i go okay bye <laughs> Well, it's interesting kind of what you, you're you talking about there. It seems like you're aware of the, I don't know when, uh, I don't know if you call it the selfish nature of what you're talking about, but I feel like that's kind of a necessity for professional athletes in general and professional golfers of you kind of can't do it all. You can't give 100% of yourself to everything, right? It has to, There's a little bit of selfishness that comes with, I want, I need to focus on this. I need to travel to this. I need to play this tournament on this side of the world and I need to be gone this many weeks a year. Or Because if you half-ass it, nobody wins. You're, you're traveling like a little bit and you're miserable and you're not getting much out of it. And, uh, it's a, it's an interesting kind of, kind of perspective to, to go through. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's not surprising, I guess, to hear some of that. I think I use the word I a lot when I'm perceiving as a golfer, but sometimes just creating those kind of boundaries and knowing what you want and how you're going to get the best out of you is, I think is the most important way to approach life sometimes. So we're recording this during uh, during Masters Week, but this is going to air during uh, ahead of the uh, the first Chevron Challenge at Carlton Woods. Have you been to the golf course yet? And what's it going to be like moving away from uh, from Palm Springs for the first major of the year? I have not played out there yet, but I already have my friend Lisa um, McCloskey, my college teammate, 
who was on tour for a few years with me. Um, she was one of my closest friends. She actually lives in Texas. So I'm excited to see her because she's going to come visit me in Texas. So this is how I kind of view tournaments. Sometimes I've been on tour for 12 years now. I just want to know who I'm going to run into when I go to events. Um, with that said, I'm, I am excited to play a major, first major. I heard good things about Carlton. Is it? Car yeah. Carlton I've heard, Woods, I've yep. heard good, yeah, I've heard good. <laughs> It's a, people keep saying Carlton Oaks, so I've it's heard the good Oaks things. Oaks course, I think, right at, at Carlton. Yeah, Woods, so yeah. I didn't want to say Carlton Woods Oaks, Carlton <laughs> Oaks. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna call it Carlton. It's a new um, era. Everybody's trying to figure it out right now. I know, and I know I might not be a fan favorite by saying this, but really thankful for actually moving is because I have to, you know, highlight the idea that. Chevron has upped the purse by 60% for our first major championship. And I think that says a lot about who they are and what they're trying to accomplish in women's sports. And we need sponsors like that to elevate our game and to push us forward and that jump that gun and upping a percent by 60% is a lot. It's just, I, I understand that we have that nostalgia and we know that we want to be a venture mirage and we have that poppy's pond, but I believe that traditions could be made at any given moment, any given time. And we are history. Every second is history. So I hope that we get to do something cool there in Houston. And I don't know what's in front of us and what's what we're headed towards, but I'm excited for the unknown more so than anything. And whether it's good or bad, I'm sure we're going to get through it together. And we are the history of the first major being playing there. So I hope we get to build on that and have something grounded for the next generation to come. Well, I think it's something we probably talked about the last time you were on the podcast is the the somewhat of an arms race there is in women's golf between the major championships to say, you know, U.S. Women's Open Purse is now this, AIG Women's Open is this, KPMG has been a big driver of this. It's kind of, uh, yeah, you got to step up your game if you want to have a major. Which kind of brings me to my next question, and I, I want to know what makes a major a major in your mind. I think most listeners have, again, a good idea of the majors on the men's side. And on the women's side, there's the Women's PGA from KPMG, the U.S. Women's Open, AIG Women's Open, a.k.a. the Women's British. And then there's the Chevron and the Av Evian. And admittedly, I have trouble placing them at times. And I'm just curious your reaction to what makes the Chevron a major, what makes the a Avion a major? Mm, what major means to me is the prestigiousness of the golf course, the purse, and the strength of field. Those three things. That's just the pinnacle of being a major championship. We want to play against the best in the world. And I want to play at the most testing golf course there is out there. We can play any golf course. That's not the issue, but it's a testament to your game that, that will challenge you off the tee from into the fairways, sloping around the greens to, to testing your chipping, to pitching, to putting. I think that's what major championship is. Strength of field and the difficulty of the golf course. Now, the purse is i believe cherry on top and i know that like i said i'm not a fan favorite when i say that is because we expect major to have bigger purse but for me i think that the really important part is that's the sponsors aspect of it and i can't tell sponsors what to do and what they should be doing but i can't ask them to host us and 
you know, showcase us at the best places in the world, like Baltusrol, Sahali, Pebble Beach, LACC. Those are the places that we want to go. And I think that that's what makes a major a major. Pebble Beach this year. I mean, I got to imagine there's some excitement amongst in the locker room about that. There's a lot of excitement. I've actually never played Pebble Beach. So I've heard big things about it and I'm really excited to go. Um, it's on the ocean. I, I don't know if you know that part. It's, 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 I do know it's, that. it's very pretty. It's I I've seen it. Yes. I have seen the whole Pebble beach. Look, I'm very excited to go somewhere. So iconic, yeah. right? I'm, I have to look at the golf as a fan more so than a player. Sometimes it's because I wasn't a golf fan growing up. I wasn't really into the game of golf. Even when I was playing, I just played it cause I liked it. And as I'm learning golf and learning the history of the game, even now, Pebble Beach is iconic, right? And for us to be able to be showcased at iconic places like that, not just for an AT&T Prime, but for a major championship, they're going to set it up in a major way. And I think that that says a lot about where we're headed. And I think that's where I'm excited to be. Hmm. And then Walton Heath, I mean, the AIG Women's Open future venues are also incredible. I mean, Walton Heath is Heathland course in England. I don't know if you've ever been there or gotten to play much golf around no. there. But, yeah, you're going to love that one, too. I mean, it's – it's. I heard it's not as linksy, so fingers crossed Danielle plays well there because I am not a – I'm not the biggest links fan. Why is that? I don't know. I just can't trust that it's going to roll out where it's supposed to roll out. I like to just throw the ball where it needs to go. You said you like the challenge. Come on. That's what's so challenging about it. That's one challenge that I have not grasped right now. Uh, It's very challenging for me. So I want to try and have fun with it. But hey, maybe not this year because it's supposedly not that lengthy. So. It's it's Heathland Golf, which I would describe as a hybrid between Lynx and Parkland. I mean, it's it's firm and fast conditions usually, but just without That's the wind, fine. without the windswept nature that you're going to get on the coast of a, of a Lynx golf course, right? So, wind also is fine for me. I just don't like the flatness of it. Eh, well, he's pretty flat, so <laughs> I know I'm. I like I like the Jack Nicholas design kind of thing where I can see the entire green. I want to be able to have the perception and the imagination so I can play the shots on where I see it but I'm weak with where it's elevated and I don't know where the bottom is but I'm learning so it's a challenge I did well at PV Palace Verdes last week so we're good we're headed in the right direction I was gonna say that's the kind of fun that course is kind of the fun level architecture that I enjoy I, I see I would say to that like Jack Nicholas course wouldn't make you think and be as creative as much as a Walton Heath kind of golf course will kind of force you to be, be creative on where you land it, what kind of slopes you're going to use to bring balls in and things like that. I can't see it. Yeah. You got to learn it though. That's the part you got to no, learn. It. That's what practice it. rounds are for. My IQ on the golf course is not that high. <laughs> It's so funny to see, um, you know, just just how I, I love getting into the mindset of how you guys view golf courses, right? Because everyone views it differently. You see it based on, you know, you do this for a living, so it's based on how well you're going to likely succeed at that course is going to fit how well it fits your eye versus I view it obviously through what's fun and what's entertaining to watch on television. So I'm, yeah, that's what makes me excited about your guys venues. And, and it's been, it's been that way for, I mean, pine needles was, was see, I would classify uh, pine needles as being somewhat similar style in terms of fast and firmness and sloping uh, as what you'll see at the AIG women's open. Okay. That's cool. Did you like pine needles? Wait. Yeah, that was my first U.S. Open, actually, when I was 14 years old, <laughs> That's 2007. 
I played golf for about a year at that point. Oh, you see, this is the part where I just want to fight you. You play golf for a year and you're playing the U.S. Women's Open a year. Year and a half-ish. Yeah, year and a half-ish. I didn't. I didn't sign up for it. So I know people think I'm very arrogant by saying that is when I said, I don't know what the U S open is, but I didn't sign up. So my brother signed me up. I played the local qualifier. I ended up making it and I had to go play Lake Merced and I didn't want to go cause it was too far. And then they made me go and then I made it. Then I did an interview and everyone's like, Oh, how exciting are you to play the U S open? I'm like, I don't know what I, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know why I'm here. Like I'm more pissed off that like I'm here right now because I had to miss my dad, my grandpa's funeral. And I just was just upset. And then, but I didn't realize for people around me that it was one of the biggest deals that I'm playing in the U S open. So I learned then what the major was or what major championship was, what U S open was. So I was still learning. I just, I was just starting the game. So give me a little bit of a break. Is, is there, is, is this something that's like, are right, you started like seriously playing the year before it? Like, are there pictures of you swinging golf club, like at age six, age seven, that are going to poke a hole in this story? Cause I, it's still so hard to believe that you had. There you might were, be a okay. photo of me doing like a turkey contest, maybe like with the golf club when I was like nine, but I don't think I ever like hit balls to be honest. I never went to the golf course. I mean, like, I'm sure it's like holding a basketball, right? Like I've held it, but no, I just started when my brother started and I just practiced as much as he practiced. Mm. So I just wanted to hang out. And then he signed me up because I even asked him recently saying like, why did you sign me up for that? And like, what made you want to sign me up for that? And he said to someone that I just hit it really far when I was a kid because I was in martial arts. And he said that I, I just thought my sister could make it because she just hits it really far. Hmm. If she just learns how to putt. So I just, yeah, I guess he was right. Figured that part out. So you, you're top 15 in the world right now. I'm curious, what is, what is the difference between you right now and being number one in the world? What, 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 what would you, how would you summarize that difference? I think when I was top 10 in the world, top five in the world for the past few years consistently, I believe that I'm in a better place now than I was. My game is in a better place now than it was the last few years is because it, it's more the, the subtle understanding of your game and yourself on the golf course. And I do believe that my game was very immature when I started off on tour. Cause like I said, I was 18. I played golf for five years at that point and I'm a professional golfer. I can't compete. Some people have five years, 10 years, 20 years under their belt. It's, it's the, the maturity of the game. So being world number one versus number 10 or 15 or 20, I think there's a lot of subtle subtlety. Yep. Um, you just have to know how to manage your time, how to manage your game at every situation that comes your way every single day and every single week. Um, and having that team around you, I think is a, big big help having a consistent coach that will elevate you having a consistent physio and workout trainer that knows your body having a good caddy that knows your game and knows your personality inside out those things are going to make a difference one or two shots by the end of the week and i think that's what makes a difference what's it been like now to actually for the first time in women's golf have some strokes gain data right some information about how your numbers are trending i know it's kind of a manual input system that caddies are doing to get that data but have you have you gleaned anything from looking at you know hey maybe i do this better than i thought maybe i do this worse than i thought or gotten anything from that information 
I don't mean no disrespect, but I don't check those numbers is because because it's manually inputted. Right. I don't trust it. And if I go off by those numbers, we should be shooting 62s every single week. If I looked at the dispersion of somebody so-and-so's 165 yards to 205 yards, it's to me, it's unrealistic numbers. Hmm. And if I go off by the data and st- stats, I mean, I love numbers. Yes, I'm, yeah, whatever. I, I, I love calculation. Math is something that you can't lie on. Math is something that it has an answer and there's an equation. So if I go off by those statistics, it doesn't make sense. Whether you're a scratch player or if you're new to the game, there's an easy way to lower your scores, and that's adding a rangefinder to your pre-shot routine. It'll change your game forever. I like to gun the flag, and I like to gun maybe a bunker that's in front of the green or the front you know, ledge or something to know exactly what my range is that I need to hone in on on an approach shot. I like to gun the bunkers from tee boxes on golf courses I haven't played before to see what I need to carry. There's so many great benefits in a rangefinder. Our longtime partner, Precision Pro Golf, has created a rangefinder that is unlike any other. We've been using their NX10 model for almost a year, maybe over even a year now. It is easily the best rangefinder we have ever used. The Precision Pro NX10 has all the essentials like a magnetic cart mount, slope adjusted distances, an external slope switch, HD optics, you get free battery replacements, a three-year warranty, and a 30% off upgrade program. These guys have really disrupted the rangefinder industry. And you can head to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU to see our favorite part, which is the customization. You can choose from one of our NLU designs, uh, or you could get all of them if you want. And with the NX10, you can easily switch the look of your rangefinder. And I don't know if anyone else in the rangefinder game has this. So head to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. Use code no laying up to get $20 off your NX10. Again, precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. Code no laying up for $20 off your NX10. Let's get back to Daniel Kang. What do you use? And do you use anything internally to kind of measure your performance? I have a rough draft of my stats is what I would say is what we have right now. We can't compare that to the PGA Tour stats and PGA Tour players is because theirs is accurate to inches. Yeah. And you can't compare yards to inches. That's how I see it. But I do respect that we do at least have a rough draft of stats now. Um, Hopefully in the next coming years, we'll have a bit more tuned in and more set in accuracy with those things just to showcase what girls are capable of doing and how their dispersions within certain numbers are better than men. I think that'd be really cool to see. I know that some girls control over 220 yards is better than a lot of guys. Some girls as rescues and three woods go straighter than my nine iron. So I think seeing those numbers would be really cool to the amateur golfer. But until I have the actual numbers, I can't give you a rough draft estimate of what the stats can or can't be. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sorry. No, I I, no, I, it's it's been helpful to us, at least in the media, to be like, hey, what's going on with so-and-so to go check and be like, oh, man, you know, even if it's not down to the, to the decimal point that we want it to be, it's like, oh, the putting's falling off or the driver's falling off or, or uh, things like that. But uh, I'm most interested to talk to you about Butch Harmon. Uh, I know we've talked a, a bit about some stories you, got, you have in the past, but uh, I'm ready to nerd out on some golf swing stuff and other lessons you've learned with him. There's a great Golf Digest video I watched today of, uh, of you guys talking wedges here, and he, you talked about how he helped you flight it lower with wedges. How did he do that? What did you learn from him on, on how to flight wedges lower? He just told me to hit it lower. All right. But well, that, that's super helpful. Thank you very much for that. Butch's, Butch's uh, method of teaching has his ways. And I, he, he said to me that there is a reason to his madness. 
and I I respect that to I respect that tremendously. I I don't know what he does half the time, but then it results into how he's wanted the results to be. Hmm. He has helped me flat my wedges. He's had he's helped me very much in control around the greens, and I think that that was very important for making helping me score better um, on par fives and things. And he's helped me be able to manage my own swing without needing him all the time. And I think that that's important for him. That was one of his goals and priorities for me to learn is so that I self-function because he doesn't travel and, you know, he's in Vegas and he wants me to know my swing more than anybody else does so that I know how to fix it on the golf course or I know how to go down the checklist and see what's and be realistic on what, how the shots came out on what it could have been and what it should have been. So I think that's something that I really learned from him and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. You can't walk off the golf course after every bad round and, and be demanding that the coach help you fix it. Right. You got, there's gotta be some internal governors and checks in there, but what was, what was your first wedge lesson like with Butch Harmon? My first wedge lesson, actually, that was the first lesson I ever had with him. I wasn't hitting my wedges well, so I could either hit it the yardage and left and right or at the pin long and short. I didn't have the combo. And then so he told me to shallow out my swing, and I said, I don't know what shallow means. And then he tossed the club and just walked off. So what does, he came back. what does it mean? He came back, though. <laughs> He told me to play, and then he came back and said, can you hit a low draw? And I said, I can't. And then I was hitting these low draws, and I said, um, why didn't you just say that? And he's like, we're not going to go there. So that was my first wedge lesson. So I, I'm guessing shallow and draw has same similarity. That's what I was learning back then. And that hitting a low draw helps to control the ball a bit better around the greens. There you go. Okay. Like pitching. So do you do you like for like an eighty yard wedge shot now? Do you are you trying to hit like a low draw or how do you now hit it low? I mean that really depends on the lie. So um I mentioned previously that I do work with Drew Steckel as well. So that's my coach and he he's a bit more hands on with me. And with him, with working with him, my angle of attack has decreased by multiple degrees. So my max wedge that I used to hit my 58 was my, sorry, max number that I used to hit with my 58 degrees was 70 yards. That was my max ever, like 67 yards, 70 yards. But after working on certain things, now it flies 83. So when I have, now I have more to play with because of the angle of attack being lower. Now the wedge, I can flight it a bit better. It flies further, spins better. So now I could play around with how I'm going to hit that, would you ask me, 80-yard wedge shot. Mm-hmm. I could take a 54-degree, open the face, and flight it down, pitch it, pitch it, and spin one stop it. Or I could hit a 58-degree, leave the face square, and hit a higher one and spin it. Or open the face and hit it 85 yards and spin it back. Like Those are the things that I can play around with because of the ball speed. That's why that PGA Tour short game is so unbelievable. I mean, this sounds... This sounds one like Phil talking about wedges or that Dennis Rodman where that, that GIF where he's, you know, throwing the ball around. And I tip it this way. I go this way. I do this way. I love it. It's How- awesome when I talk. Yeah, because it's imagination and you yeah. can do whatever you want with it. 
but you have to have the technique to get there. But how do you change your angle of attack? Like, what does that mean? I, I know what steep is and I know what shallow is, but what's the process in doing it? It's, you know, is so it- what him and I've worked on for the past few months is to be able to, cause I'm very under everyone knows that I'm a very wide swing, um, super long and wide. And then I use a lot of my body to go through and I wanted to time it a bit less because timing, timing goes off when there's other factors into play, whether it's wind, whether it's rain, whether it's pressure, tension down the stretch, whatever it may be, you can't time things as well as you want to when other factors are in place. So I wanted to get rid of that a bit more. And Drew has worked with me on how to time it less so that I flip it a bit less. Like, I'm less at the ball flipping or manipulating it, which means it's going to go where my body goes and my club is kind of dragging with it. And at that point, the club staying the way it's supposed to stay has decreased the loft a little bit. But the ball goes higher because golf is a game of opposite, right? If you have a better angle of attack, the ball will spin up the face a bit more, the whole technology behind the R&D, and then it just goes, yeah. So it's a bit better. <laughs> is this all stuff you've learned in the last few years? Or is like, where, where was your knowledge on this like five years ago, would you say? I'm uh, not that great, no. I mean, I'm a slow learner on the golf course. I, golf is one of the worst sports in the world or game in the world is because you learn the same, you make the same mistake every day. And it drives you mental. But you have to learn and you have to figure out why it happened, how it happened. And how to not make it happen, but it's how to decrease the chance, decrease the chance of happening it again, happening again. So, or giving yourself the best opportunity to hit the best shot. I think creating that percentage to be a bit higher, making that percentage to be a bit higher is my ultimate goal. And I think having a better angle of attack will have a better spin, which will have better results, which will have better dispersion and like ball speed, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a whole snowball, you know? Well, I have to imagine, especially with your timeline of when you got really good at golf, it, it would be pretty impossible for you to know all the things that made you great at it, right? I mean, there's that, there's that, there's one way of playing, I imagine, high-level competitive golf, which is a little bit of ignorance to all of the details and the thoughts that go into it. And the, the no-man's land you'd want to be is, in, is knowing a little bit but not knowing how to fix it, or you dive in deep into the details of it to really understand all the things the club is doing throughout it. And it seems like you're on the upswing of, of that part of it. I think when people are younger, they play well, it's because we are fearless and we are ignorant. And the less I knew, the better it was when I was a kid. It's because it's just the fear- fearlessness of it. It doesn't matter. Um, we're not thinking about three-putting. We're not thinking about what happens or what ifs or buts. You just go and smash it. You don't think about where the ball is going to go. You don't think about the putt and then the delicacy and the finesse of those lines. You just go and hit the putt. And... I think that kind of ignorance or fearlessness is a big factor, but it's how to harness that fearlessness and how to tap back into that whilst knowing all the knowledge is the ultimate goal. What is, uh, what's it like working with Butch specifically on, I mean, he's worked with, I mean, pretty much you name it in, in, in the world of professional golf. Is it is pretty much every time he's teaching you something, is it like, well, here's how Greg Norman did it, or here's what Phil Mickelson did, or what I did with Tiger Woods? What what can you glean from his experience of working with uh, you know, so many names that so many people would recognize? 
I don't think he tries to teach you what other people have done. I think he tries to make what you have better. And I think that's what he does best. One other big change you've had going on, uh, your caddy, Ollie Brett, is uh, is no longer on your bag. What, what's that, uh, what kind of drove that decision or that, or that uh, you guys were together for quite some time? And, uh, and, and what was that process like? I have a new caddy. His name is Brad. And uh, he caddied for MB Park for the past 16 years. And it's been, it was like we had a little bit of adjustment time, but we're right back on schedule. So I've I'm really thankful um, for how he's helped me out at PV, actually. And it was really interesting to see on how he sees the golf course and how I see the golf course. And it does take adjustment time is because I was with my old caddy for quite a few years and he was with his older player for a long time. And it's been very, very good transition for me. And yeah, we had some good results right now. I, I don't think we finished outside top 10 in the last like three events. And I'm excited to see what we have in store for the rest of the year. What's it been like the on the LPJ tour in general? The transition from having Mike Wan a commissioner to having Molly come in. I'm wondering if you if you feel that on the individual player level, or what that uh, what that transition's been like in your opinion. The transition's been a bit different. I I miss Mike. Um, Mike has been around for almost ten years, eleven years. How long? I don't exactly know how long he was with us for. When he calls me, um, he knows I screen his phone calls. Is because I know he's gonna call me somewhere and fly somewhere. And then one time he left me a voicemail saying, I'm not asking you to come anywhere. Answer your phone. So I called him right back. He goes, I know you were screening it. I said, every time I pick up, you're making me fly somewhere. What's up, Kamish? So uh, we saw a really good relationship. And I'm really thankful for Mike Wan that, you know, as soon as he became the USJ CEO, he made the Women's US Open purse $10 million. And that's something that I really would like to highlight is because I'm very thankful for that because he's still thinking of the future of the game, not just the LPGA as an ex-commissioner or what he used to do for us or what he could have done for us. No, it's just he's focusing on where he's at, what he's doing, and how to make the game better and how to make the game better for us. And um, I think he did an awesome, amazing, he took an amazing step in making our event just $10 million just like that. And then AIG stepped up to, you know, thankful for AIG to stepping up in their purse and PGA of America. And it just kind of for, and keeps rolling to Chevron. So it's been, it's been good. Um, I think we're going to be quote unquote record breaking purse for the next, I don't know, decade, because, you know, we, we were starting where we started off 10, 15 years ago was in such a different era that the building was, is going to keep going. Right. So that when they say Rome wasn't built in a day, I'm hoping that we're still in the process and, I think we're headed in the right direction. We've obviously seen a tremendous upheaval in uh, professional golf on the men's side in the past year. I'm, I'm curious, kind of, what's your what? What do you see as the the future of the LPGA Tour? Are you bullish on the future of the LPGA Tour? Do you feel like the tour is on in a on a good path and in a good direction? And uh, I'm just curious what your reaction is to that. I don't have a direct answer to that yet. I think, I mean, I'm not the commissioner, so I don't really know what goes on behind the scenes 24 seven, but. I do believe that we can expedite it a little bit faster. Um, that's how I perceive it. I want there to be a bit more fan engagement. I want there to be a bit more highlights on women's golf. The purse is the purse. I know that the boys play for $20 million a week, and then there's the whole thing with the live and then the PGA Tour, and then now they're playing for X amount of money, and every week someone's winning $4 million to $5 million to this and that. And like I see that, but 
that doesn't correlate with me. You know, I'm not, I don't know what it's like to win $5 million or $4 million, but that's not what I'm looking at to become what I want to become. That's them. And I just look at what we have now and I want to know how we can expedite our process, utilizing what we have, utilizing the players is because we, we've been around and I think players want, this to become the ultimate dream too down the road and for the next generation and for the game to grow. So um, I think that LPGA could expedite a bit more, but it's not LPGA necessarily, it's them plus the partners. And But I don't exactly know how or what, but I know that they're doing everything they can to do the best that they can. Um, I think if we just, I don't know, I think there's like a whole other sense to it, right? But it seems like, we're doing fine. I'm pretty happy with where we're at right now. And um, I know that there's more focus on the whole of LPGA tour being able to make a living versus just the top players. And I agree with that too. Um, I want, you know, there's a lot of, we can only look at the bad, but we can always look at the good. I mean, you got the majors now we got enough. We have a full schedule, even more. We've got international crown back. We've got Solheim cup. Like we have to look at so many positive things that I'm very proud of the work that they've done um, with a lot of changes that's come towards LPGA's way. I was going to say, what's it like having a, a, a team, an international team competition, two international team competitions coming this year, another Solheim Cup year, obviously. But we know how much you love the team competitions. But uh, how often have you been checking the international crown standings? I absolutely love playing team events. I I thrive on them. I don't know. It's just fun. I love having a teammate. I actually think that Liv is doing a really cool thing by having a team aspect of it because you can root for a team, right? And I, I really, really like that. And, and why I say that is because it's golf is so individual and to have, I'm, I always say to people is so-and-so is not my competition. Um, She is not my enemy. She's not my, anything she's a competitor but you have to beat the entire field every week just because i beat lexi thompson doesn't mean i'm going to win the tournament just because lexi thompson beats me doesn't mean she's going to win the tournament so i think that kind of aspect or mindset of that instead of now being like hey we've got a team to root for we have that like whether it's the aces whether it's the Ironheads, like you, you got the name of it and i find it so cool and um now we've got an international crown i've got like I got that crew and I've known Nelly and Lexi. I mean, we went to the Olympics together, so I'm excited to see them. Um, chatted with Lexi yesterday. We've got a new an upcomer rookie, which is she's not a rookie right now, but she's rookie for the team, Lilia Vu. Um, my one of my childhood best friends is actually on her back. I've been friends with him since I was eleven years old. He's like a brother. I've known him for 19 years. And so we were having lunch yesterday and He's on the back for Lilia. So it's just like a whole, like, we're really excited. And then you got Spain and you got Stacey Lewis as captain. I don't know. I'm just really happy that there's so many good things happening this year. And I'm just excited. <laughs> it's May 4th through 7th this year for those that uh, that don't know. And it's May the been... 4th be with us. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. Oh, I'm God. so sorry. I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should edit that out for you, but I'm going to leave that in though, just so you get a little bit more embarrassed. <laughs> but it's at Harding Park this year. And uh, it's 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 been, what, since 2018 that it's happened? I think, um, yeah, the last one was in Korea, but then 2020 was obviously canceled for reasons that I are know, obvious. I was really sad about yeah. that because I was on the team. And then I know they didn't continue it in 2022. Yeah. And then I was sad about that. And I was like, okay, now... 
I am on the cusp of making the team. I go, I have to make this team. I'm not going to not play it. The third time that I'm technically qualified, I go, no, like it's, it's happening. So um, it's in San Francisco where I was born. I'm, I've got a lot of friends coming out and I think it's a really cool um, way of playing it. And I want it to be as elevated as, you know, I know that it's quote unquote, not the president's cup. Right. And everyone gets, ex it's different vibe and era, but I want, people to get really excited about the international crown as much as they do with um, the other ones, because it's, it's a team vibe, right? Well, it's everybody. Your it's, it's yeah. not just, you know, us versus Europe or, you know, it's, 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 everybody. it's everybody. Everyone's got to, you yeah. know, it's, it's a really cool event that I think it, it doesn't, um, it just takes time and years for it to gain the notoriety and attention that it probably deserves. And it's still in its infancy phase and got disrupted by COVID, but I'm, I'm really excited that it's coming but back. It's okay. We're yeah. going to do, we're going to play some good golf and showcase some good things and cool things. So I'm excited. Um, like I said, we're part of history. And it's going to get to where it needs to get to. And as long as we do our part, it's going to be fine. Well, there's just the point you made about, you know, if I beat Lexi and, you know, it doesn't mean you win the tournament and all that. It's like there's so many mixed ways you can view success in a golf tournament. Like a fifth place finish can be a really great week. and uh, oh, yeah. it, But, you know, you didn't win, so you don't go home with the trophy. Yet match play or team play is very binary. It is zero or one. Everything is very binary of did you yeah. win or did you lose? And that is so much easier for fans. Like coming off – the WGC match play a couple weeks ago, like that, uh, you know, is just, it's, there's, there's some, there's a reason why almost every other sport is like that because it's just very easy for fans to follow. So. Yeah. I always, uh, I always tell the, you know, baseball players and the football players, you know, when they travel a lot and I always say, well, at least you have a home game. Yeah. And that's what I miss the most, or I feel like I wish I had is that, that home, that home vibe, the home fans, that home crowd. And I think we don't have that. That's why when I have the event in Las Vegas, it feels like home. And when Max Homa wins it in LA, like it's the biggest deal is because he wanted it like at his home. And it doesn't happen often for us. So I think having that home vibe with your teammates is just so important. And I think it's one of the best events anytime there's a team. So how did, uh, how did Inverness rank up there in regards to Solheim cup atmosphere? I know that, uh, you love your TV time around the, uh, around the Solheim cup and, uh, you did not shy away from the, the raucous first tee atmosphere there. I, I, you know, Inverness, I had a very fond memory from there because of my win the previous year. I won the drive on championship from there. Nothing ever beats my first Solheim cup at Des Moines. Um, it was one of the best experiences of my life on that first tee. And I know that we had more people at Inverness, but that wasn't, for me, the, the atmosphere, the, the pinnacle of what I ex were expecting, and it exceeded it. So now I have expectations, right? And before, I didn't know what I was expecting, and it just exceeded it. So I, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm excited to go to Spain. I'm also excited for it to come back in 2024. We have back-to-back. -back, so... It'll be good. I don't really care whether it's every year or every other year. As long as we have team events, it's fun. Yeah, I think I've been a big proponent of, of doing those every single year. The waits are too long and the rivalries, you know, it's 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 the best. There's a lot. There's a reason yeah, why cool. like Alabama and Auburn play every year. Like it's you play it every year. Like it's really, really yeah. fun. And so yeah, for you people that people don't know, 23 and 24 are going uh, back to back to, uh, I believe, kind of driven by getting opposite of, of the Ryder Cup, which had to bump mm -hmm. back a year and you guys stayed on the same schedule that you were on. But um, it's a it's a good, good, strong development, I think. So 
Um, all right, so this is going to be uh, dated content, but I think if you got this right, it would be really funny for people to hear uh, in a couple weeks when we do air this. But uh, who, who's your Masters winner? We're recording this on Wednesday before the Masters kicks off. Uh, predict who your winner is going to be. Dustin. Dustin Johnson. Okay, that will uh, that will look very that, that'll be hilarious if that if that turns out and this one and this does get aired. But uh, I want Dustin to win. I don't really watch a lot of men's golf, so I don't know who's hot right now. But I just want Dustin to win. I was I gonna say Dustin, we're, so. again, it is Masters week. Do you have any traditions to watch the Masters? Are you uh, are you uh, do you watch the majors at all on the, on the men's side or anything like that? No. Nope, nothing. No, only time I ever watched the Masters was when Dustin won. Hmm. I watched the last nine last. Nine or six holes. Yeah, I watched the last nine or six holes. No, I don't really like to watch golf that much. I, not really. Sorry. I know I'm not a, that's not a favorite, but no, I, like it's I said, good answer. It's always curious. I wasn't, I wasn't raised watching game of golf and the master Sunday. I wasn't that person. So I love soccer and I love watching football. I'm not a big, and hockey, but I'm not a big sitting and watching golf for like an eight hour day. But I do like the men's, um, what do you call it, TV time is because they do jump from shot to shot to shot. And so I, it covers a lot of players and I do respect that quite a bit. Then I could just watch a bunch of players playing at the same time. I know you, you guys were playing uh, this past week uh, during the Augusta National Women's Amateur, but have you gotten to, to watch any of that? And what's kind of your reaction to, uh, to, to seeing uh, you know, the, the young amateur women getting to compete at Augusta National? I think I watched the highlights of it when the winner highlights and then the playoffs. Um, what was the question? Just what's your reaction to that? I'm, I'm inching towards the question of wh- how long is it going to be until we have a, a ladies masters at Augusta? Cause I think that would be, I don't think insane. we need to have a ladies. No? I don't think we need to have a ladies. No, I don't believe so. And I know that once again, I'm not going <laughs> to be the favorite in that because I, I like to focus on what we need to do and what we have now. I don't really think that we need to, really invade the masters i mean it's we're never going to live up to the men's masters and i don't think we need to compete against it i think if we want to play augusta that's a different story but to create a women's masters i don't think it's really a necessity because that's history that's been built for decades it's 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 seeded in that route and we can create our own we can go somewhere else we can Name the our AIG Women's Open trophy. I think we can start with that because they have the claret jug. Like, what's our trophy called? Um, I want, you know, let's just start small instead of looking being like, why don't we get women's masters at Augusta? Like, I don't really see, I don't see it. I just let them have their thing. Just leave them alone. Like, it's masters is a sacred week for a lot of people. But I don't think I can demand it to be a sacred week for us as well and just to ride off of what they have. and. It's not our history. So I think we can create our own history with our own champions. And I think that's important. And I, that's how I see it. But that makes, no. that makes a lot of sense. That really does make sense. Um, all right. Well, we're going to let you go. We are kicking off this week with the, uh, the Chevron championship, a, uh, a, a great run of, of really good golf. You guys are about to play with that. We have the KPMG women's PGA at Baltusrol. Of course we have Pebble beach. We have the international crown. We have the AIG women's open at Walton Heath. We have the Avion. It is going to be coming fast and hard here very quickly. And then Solheim cup to wrap it all year. Huge year. It's going to be fantastic. So best yeah. of luck with that. Hope we, uh, hope you get to catch up down the road and thanks for spend some time with us. Thank you so much. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's 
Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect 